0: we're on Jewish time, so uh, it's always the best time to be on. Somebody pointed out because of the way the calendar works out, the Yom Tovim are always either early or late, but they're never on time. And uh, this year is a perfect example because it is August 20th and it is Elul. That's much too early for Elul. This is the time of year when we're supposed to be collecting the averas that we do tshuva for later. This is not the time when we're supposed to be focusing on ello. Not in the middle of August. Yeah, no one goes to the beach during ello, you know. No one's supposed to be out there swimming. It's a it's a time. It should come out more or less like September, but comes out early this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- that's why it's absolutely amazing. I mean, y- you have to realize that it's just over a little three weeks till Rosh Hashanah. ay 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 Now, I know I'm playing dirty. Mm. But the truth of the matter is that this... Uh, it was, made, it was over 20 years ago I was teaching a class on Rosh Hashanah and I was explaining about the the tefillahs and the nigunim, by the way that is more or less a universal nigun I have heard that it goes all the way back to Bayashani. that's how old that nigun is and uh, I was teaching in the shul as it happens, a class on Rosh Hashanah I was explaining how you know or sure I no, just start that niggin and I started that niggin and all the boys joined in and by the end the place was rocking and I was shaking I couldn't continue and I said alright well we'll just we'll pick this up you know next class and I walked into the office and one of the rabbin looked at me and I said what's the matter and I told him what happened and he says no it's the matter Ephraim." He says that the nigunim that we use on the Yom Narayim are designed to be able to awaken us to tshuva. And so that you appreciate this, the, uh, the Zoya Kodesh says that the Shari Nagina are next to the Shari Tshuva. That music has a power to be able to bring us back to Kodish Baruchu and change us. Nagain is nun gan. The fiftieth level that brings us to Gun Eden. That's that's the power that music has. And that's why music is always an octave, as you know. An eight is always something that's l'malim and It's something that's out of this world. So, uh, so yeah, it's Rosh Hashanah. I hope I hope that short rendition helped to remind us that we are in Elul, and what an important time it is. So. There is a din that's in Elul. It's a din about Rosh Hashanah, but it's a din in Elul. It's a Gemara Megillah, where Ezra was metaking, that you had to read the Klolos and Sefer Dvarim before Rosh Hashanah. Now, obviously, the way that we set up the Kriya Satira. It comes out, anyway, that Parshas kisavo Toysos adds Nitzavim. So anyway, you're going to read Parshas kisavo and Nitzavim before Rosh Hashanah. But, as you know, there were two minhagim in Klai Yisrael. There was a minhag wherein you would finish the entire Torah every year like we do. And there was another minhag where we would finish it once every three years. And that's the... Um, that was the system. In certain places, and so comes Rosh Hashanah time. You might be in the middle of Shmos, and so Ezra a sefer was Matakan, That just like for Parsha Shkolim, and Parsha Zochah, and Parsha Parah, and Parsha Achodesh, we flip ahead and we bring out another sefer Torah and we read that parsha. Used to wherever you were, you took out a Sefer Torah and you read the Klalais in Sefer Devarim you would read kisavo and Nitzavim and the reason he gives is She Tichla Shana seha. the year should finish with its curses I've heard Ramay Shapiro speak about this Gemara many times I don't understand If you read the in Kisavo and Nitzavim then you end the year and it's curses? I'll tell you how you end the year's curses. You end it when the year ends. Then the curses of that year are over. Right? In other words comes Rosh Hashanah this is one of the famous ideas people love to say in their pre-Rosh Hashanah shiurim. They like to review all the tragedies of the year and all of the problems, and they say, and remember, that was all Goizah and Rosh Hashanah. Because when you walk into Rosh Hashanah, and the way, uh, I heard Ramesh Shepiru describe it once, as we say from the Goinim, "Zachreinu <laughs> lechayim, melech hafeiz v'chaayim I am available. Yeah? Remember us for life. The king who wants life. Because, and write us in the book of life. For your sake, living God. Yeah? What does that mean? That means that on Rosh Hashanah HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes a deposit In your bank account Of 354 days This coming year Hopefully you'll get 384 days Because it's a leap year yeah? And um, And you get that amount of time And you click it off every day You make a withdrawal When you walk into Rosh Hashanah The account is empty There's nothing it's a brand new slate. And that's it. Whatever went is history. It's over. And now you have to start again. It's interesting. There's a famous Rambam, which says that you have to look at yourself at the end of the year as mechza al mechza, half good and half bad. Half and half a Exactly 50-50. That's called the Bainani. And then the Rambam writes, and if you do tshuva during a Sarasme Chuva, so then that will tip the balance to the positive. Ask the Kes of Mishnah on the Rambam, I don't understand. You're 50-50. So why do you have to do tshuva? Just do another mitzvah. I'm 50-50. Come to Sarasme s'me Just make sure you're better during these days than before. And you'll push up the, the record. So, Rabbi Itzala, Itzula Peterberger, who was the Talmud Muvak of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, he answered, he says, because if you don't do chuba during a seris mei tshuva, dirishu Hashem, yimotsu, when Hashem is so close, it doesn't matter how many mitzvahs you do, the fact that you didn't do chuba will cancel it out. Rabbi Chaim it writes in Tzichus Musa a different answer because last year is gone any mitzvahs you do during your serious made is starting a new account like I saw a little sign once yeah? your wife wins every argument if you say anything after that you've just started a new argument that's all yeah. after, after the year has ended after the end of Elul now it's a new cheshven I don't care how many mitzvahs you do Shuba can go back retroactively and change last year's account. Do you understand that if I do Shuba for even one Avera, I'm not half and half anymore now. I'm oh oh one percent maybe, but that's enough to change the Chedjman, but of course it goes back. The point being, this year ends. I heard somebody speak once before Shoshana. It made a, a, a deep impression on me. A guy comes to Shul on Erev Rosh Usually people Davin Mincha just before you know shkia. says so 15 minutes left to the year 20 minutes left to the year What do you say in Shemona Esrei Bless this year and give us a Paranosa but there's 15 minutes left That's okay Kosh Baruch can do a lot in 15 minutes You'd be surprised yeah, if Geico can, we certainly can. You understand? <laughs> Fifteen minutes, we can change everything. So, just just amazing what can be done. But that's it. Comes Rosh Hashanah, it's over. Come Shkia, it's done. That year is that's history. Yeah, last year is history. The next year is mystery. That's it. There's there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, it's over. So. You know how you end the year with its curses? When the curses finish, then the year is over. Right? So, that's the prime question I want to try to deal with. But in order to develop that question, I want to take a look at Parshat Kisavl. I know it's two weeks ahead. Yeah? But, uh, it's always, you know, uh, when I went to Chavetz Chaim, they used to say the Minigan Slabotka was that they used to give the they give the shmuz about last week's parsha. So well that doesn't help me. That was last week's parsha, you know? You should always give me a, a, a heads up what's coming up. I give a parsha share in Harnof, every other Motzi Shabbos. And uh, the same thing. You know, I speak about the parsha that just ended. People are like, why don't you talk about next week? I said, ah, Motzi Shabbos, yeah. You know, Malova Malka you still Shaykh to that Pasha. But obviously if you give the Pasha insight beforehand, so give a little preparation. I just got an email from a from a woman who said to me, You know, Hello's coming up. I need to prepare now. I need some tricks to prepare now. So let's take a look at parsha's Kisavo. Now Pasha's Pakukosai is pretty straightforward. Because those are the brachas and Klolas of sefer Vayikra. And it starts in Bechukosai Selechu, and here's all the Braka. And in here's all the Kloa. And then at the end, you have Erechon. So, you know, you got to figure out what Erechon's doing there. But Barachas and Kloa's are pretty straightforward. Yeah? Parashas Kisavo starts with a whole bunch of little halachas first. That's not the worst part. The worst part is that. At the end of the chukosai, you have some of those beautiful psukim that make it into slichos. Somebody said to me once, I always find slichos depressing. And I I, I tell them, I don't understand. Because to my mind, slichos is one of the most uplifting things you could possibly say. If you listen to the psukim you're saying, it's so beautiful. It, uh, It ends... But, and these are inslichos. For Zachariah is brisi, Yaakov is brisi, Yitzchak is brisi, Abraham is kor, and is kor. i remember those brises. zois Lo ma'asem v'lo ga'altim v'chalosem v'hofer brisi. When you're away in your lands of the enemies, I'll never despise you, I'll never forget about you. Zachariah is bris, rishonim asher otseisiyosem b'Eretz mitzrayim. And I will remember the brist that I made with you. It ends on a pretty upbeat beat, you know, note. Parshus Kisavo, which by the way has double the amount of cloeless, there are 49, Rashi said at the beginning of Tzavim 49 in Rechukosai, 98 in Parashas Kisavo. And here is the ending. You want to end it on a positive note. Here's the last Pesach of the clothes. I'll give you the last Tup Sukim. Erev. In the morning you'll say, Gee, last night was better. And in the night you'll say, Boy, this morning was better. Mi Pachad. From the fear in your heart. Mi And for all the horrible things you'll see and you will go back God will send you back to Egypt in boats and the way that I said you'll never go back and you'll be sold there as slaves there'll be so many of you nobody will even want to buy you the end that's a pretty upbeat ending we get to go on a boat. That's nice. Who doesn't like a boat ride? <laughs> Back to Egypt. as slaves. Where nobody will even want to buy you. That's the ending. The Zaya HaKadosh says. That the Chachamim at the time. Asked this question. To Rav by he was in hiding. Yeah. He was hiding away in a cave. And uh. That's where he was for years. And so they send a bird with this question. Say, go find Shemba Yechai. I don't know how exactly that works. If it was a homing pigeon that knew him, perhaps. Maybe it was an owl. I don't know. But uh, whatever it is, they send this message to him. Yeah, And he sends back an answer. He says... The klolos is the nechama. That's the question. They say, you see, in Vayikra it ends, all the clothes ends with the nechama. Where's the nechama? And he says, the klolos are the nechama. A strange thing to say. So, that's question number two. Question number three is, why don't we just go into all of the brachas and cholos? That's the job here. Why does Parsha's Kisavo have all this other stuff in it? Split it up. It would be okay. You've got a lot of space there in the Seven Vayelech. You know, one's 30 psukim, one's 40 psukim. You could have added some of it over there. What's Parsha number one? Parsha number one is the Parsha of Bikurim, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Parsha number two is at the end of the third year when you were supposed to give out your uh, your matonais. As you know, there is a seven-year cycle. The first, every year, I shouldn't say that, six years you give off truma, 2% off the top, goes to the Kohane. Next you give maiserishon, 10% of what's left, that goes to the levy. Then you take off another 10%. In years 1 and 2, 4 and 5, that is my sheni you have to take that food and eat it in Yerushalayim or turn it into money and spend the money in Yerushalayim. You understand, that's close to 10% of the entire income of Klai Yisrael. You bring it to Yerushalayim and spend it there. The Mishnah and Shqalim says they couldn't even spend that much money they used to leave it with relatives and friends in Yerushalayim and say, listen, use this and buy carbon shlamim. To the point that the Mishnah says most of the meat that was eaten in Yerushalayim was shl- shlamim. The Gemara in Chagiga describes what that means. If your mind wanders for a moment from the fact that you're eating kadshim, you have to go to the mikveh again. That's why when they do these excavations in Yerushalayim, you find there's like two houses and four mikvahs, right? Because every time, if your mind wanders, from a moment you have to go back in. That's why back that time they used to wear robes and, uh, and sandals. Didn't pay to get dressed, you know what I mean? Uh, every two minutes you go into the mikvah again, you know? So, uh, fine. So, they would come every four out of the seven years. In the third year, in the sixth year, you took that 10%, it was maisa ani, it was given to the poor. The seventh year, there was no trumas and maestras, because it was shmita and everything was hefka. So there's no trumas and maestras. And that's the seven-year cycle. At the end of the third year a cycle, you have to make a vidoy. I removed everything that was kodosh from the house. Says Rashi, because that's Kaddish. and I removed it. and I gave to the Levi, maisa rishon. Rashi says truman That was maisa Oni. I gave everything I was supposed to give. You should know. Everyone likes to talk about this section. You know, also before the Yom Narayim, he's talking about Vidoi. And he's talking about the mitzvah Vidoy Vidoi and Yom Kippur, so they use this as a basis. Um, all the mitzvahs that you commanded me. I didn't go against your mitzvahs and I didn't forget. I didn't forget. I did not eat it when I was a mourner. I didn't take it off when it was I didn't use the money to buy anything for a funeral. And I did everything that you told me. Says Rashi. So bo. I was happy with it, and I made people happy. That's the next parasha. Next parasha. Yeah, and Hashem says you're going to be in Amsegula, and uh, you'll be greater than all the other people, etc. And then we have another mitzvah. When you go across the Jordan, and you come into Eretz I want you to take 12 very, very large rocks and bring them up to Har Evel, and I want you to plaster them with plaster, Sid, and write the Torah in 70 languages. There's a like is whether you write it and then you plaster over it or you plaster it and then write it on the plaster. But in any event, you write the Torah in, in 70 languages, and after you're done, you'll bring a, build his a Mizbech there. You'll bring Shlomim, and you'll eat. And you'll be happy, and you'll write on, the, on these rocks, the Torah. Then I tell you about Har Grizim and Har Evel. And when you come to Har Grizim and Har Evel, so I'm going to tell you, there's going to be two mountains. And half of Kleist will stand on one mountain, and half of Kleist will stand on the other. And Shevet Levi And the Kohanim will stand in the middle And there they will give 11 brachas and klolos On 11 particular mitzvahs And when that's all done Then we first come to the parasha Of the toichacha Of all the brachas and the klolos And there is a famous posik It's not in Rakukosai, It's over here And It's one of the most curious sukim in the whole Torah, but certainly here. Pasek Memvav, I am in Perak Chavches Pasek Mem Vav. V'ayyob b'chol ha'ayisul l'mofes v'zarach ad You will be a sign and a wonder to the nations because of your suffering. Memvav, Why? Tachaz ha'shel l'avad etos ha'shem l'ikecho b'simcho v'tuv because you didn't serve God with happiness and good heart from all that you had, says That means you kept all the mitzvahs. You just weren't happy about it. Well, there's nothing like plague, and illness, and starvation, and war to put a smile on your face. You weren't happy. This should cheer you up. Wow, we That's pretty harsh, as they say in seminary speak. You know? Gosh. I wasn't happy, so you send me 98 plagues in order to cheer me up? So, what are all these parshios doing in Parsha's Savo? That's question number four, I think. I'm losing count. And that very strange process, that's question number five. And now I want to look at Parshas Bikurim. The is describe Parshas Bikurim. A whole Mishnayis Bikurim. What did they do? When a fruit began to ripen, they would take a, a, a gemi, which is like a piece of uh, plant fiber and tie it around it, to identify it. And when it was ripe, around Shavua's time, they would pick them and they'd put them in baskets. The wealthy people put them in baskets of gold. Simple people wove the baskets and put them in. They put the basket on the back of an ox. They covered the ox's horns in gold. They put a garland around the, the shore's head. They would bring a band who would play music as they made the parade up to Yerushalayim. They would decorate the basket with flowers and birds. Live birds, not stuffed birds. They must have been tied, because otherwise, number one, they would fly away, and number two, they'd probably each would be kurim, So they were tied. And they'd come to Yerushalayim. When they were coming to Yerushalayim, everybody would stop working. And they'd say... Baruch Abba, people from such and such a city. And they would go in, and then representatives from the base of Mikdash would come out and greet them (coughs) and welcome them special. And they'd come in to the base of Mikdash and bring their Bikurim. What a show! Three times a year, people would show up to Yerushalayim with their Maisah Shani money. 10% 10% of the income of Klai Yisrael. No parades. No one came out to greet them. Nobody stopped working. But I'm bringing the Bikurim and I'm showing up. Everyone makes a parade. And they stop working. And they come out from the base of Mikdash, Because I'm bringing a fig and a pomegranate. Now everybody's dancing in the streets over this pomegranate and this fig. Yeah, throw throwing an olive. And everyone's making a parade out of this? And then you bring it in. And then you say the following. And you will say before God. And you will say before God that sound familiar? It's the second half of the Haggadah. It should sound only vaguely familiar because most people never see the second half of the Haggadah. (laughs) Through extremely poor planning, I gave shiurim on the proper way to give a Pesach Seder. But nobody knows what to do. It's so tremendously frustrating. You know, uh, you wait for the person, you know, the, the, the men to come home from shul. And then people first start setting up. Now, even if everything's all set up, not everything is all set up. First, you open the matzes And you have to search. Make so sure you have three shleimim. There's always a little crack over here, or a little bend over there. You find the three Slayman Then there are certain people of the Middag that everybody gets their own three Shlemans. This takes quite a while. Then you have to fight over the seating. Where is everyone going to sit? I want to sit next to Abba. I don't want to sit next to Abba. Until you work. I'm not sitting next to him, you know. I'm not sitting next to her. She's a lefty. <laughs> Gonna keep elbowing me the whole meal, you know? So it takes quite a while to you fight over that. Then you fight over the chairs. Because since you have to do a sabre, everybody wants the chair with the arm. But there's only two of them, and the father gets one. And so now everyone's fighting over the remaining chair. Then comes the wine grape juice controversy. Are you having wine? I don't know. Maybe just for the first cup. Maybe I'll mix. How much you want to mix? Uh, no, no, no. That's okay. That's enough. No, no, no. no, no grape juice. Oh, I think I should have grape juice last year I had such a headache. I was out of the whole sailor, you know. And you know the, the the whole convoluted pourings are going on. You know I can't pour. Could you pour pour favor. Yeah. Okay, you pour for me. Pour for him. You know. And then everyone's pouring. it out. And the one wine that everybody likes, that one ran out. And so you have to figure out what I'm going to have next. You know. Okay. No, we're all fine, and now we're ready to start, you know? And they make Kiddush. And everybody makes Kiddush. Even people who should not be making Kiddush in public. That's most of the Seder right there, you know? And then you come to the Manish Tanah, and everybody under the age of 45 asks the Manish Tanah. And they do it in English and they do it in Hebrew and they do it in French and they do it in Spanish and they do it in Swahili. Yeah, and everybody's doing their little Manishtana thing. Except, of course, the youngest kid who's supposed to do it. Who's been practicing this for a month until it's coming out of everybody's ears and now that it comes time he's standing on his chair going... And was like, come on, Manishtana... I have a grandchild... When he turned one, he started doing this. He didn't see anyone else do that. He just just they just know it. It's built in genetically to every mm. don't want. No, no, no. So we finished the Mahash Now, if you're lucky enough to have a Yeshiva Bach at your table, he takes out his first box of notes. And, then, and he opens with a Chaim on Adin Kurban Pesach. And making a Chakira that really nobody cares about. And you start to watch the Seder disintegrating before your eyes. And now we are in trouble. How do you know that your Seder is in trouble? Because when your father comes to the Dalit Bunim, he starts assigning roles. Russia, Mahu Omer. So you're in trouble now. Now, there's somebody who traditionally has this role at every Seder. Sometimes it's an uncle, sometimes it's a cousin, you know. But somebody has this role because they see that we are disintegrating. And they look around and go, that's it, let's go. And everyone goes, How do you know that there were 10 places to say, 50 places to say, 50 places to say, 100 places to say, 250 places to say, you sold? Revan Gamliel says anyone who doesn't understand these three things has not fulfilled their mitzvah. And we're done. Baruch Hashem. Anyway, these psukim are over there. (laughs) That's why people don't really notice that they're there because we're reading them at warp speed. You understand? And uh, and the best is my father used to have one of these old, you know, uh, English translations. So you really have no idea what's going on. Yeah, And Aramean tried to oppress my father. And so we went down to Egypt and we dwelt there, few in number. And we came there a nation, great, powerful, and many. Second Pesach, and the Egyptians did evil unto us and oppressed us. And they put upon us hard labor. Third Pesach, and we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And he heard our call and he saw our suffering, and our labors, and our pressure. Four. And God took us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great fear, and with signs, and with wonders. That's what's in the Haggadah. When you bring the Bikurim, here's the fifth Pasik. And he brought us to this place. And he gave us this land. Eretz Yisrael, Chalav Yisrael, a land flowing with milk and honey. V'Atah, and now conclusion. Hinei haveisias reishis pri Adam ashenasati li Hashem. I'm bringing you the first fruits that God brought me. Vinahtul of Hashem likecha, and I'm placing them before God. Vistachul of Hashem likecha, and I'm bowing down to God. V'shamacht bechol haToiv and you'll be happy with all the good that God has done to you that's what I say when I bring the Bikurim let's understand what Bikurim are all about Um, you bake the cookies so you get the first one Everyone knows that. If you have a little garden, I know when you have lots of land in Brooklyn, you have a little garden growing, you bring out those fresh tomatoes, not the ones that they sell in the supermarket, which are made out of plastic. Yeah? They have grown them genetically so that they come out shaped like a cube so they can be packed they pick them when they're green and unripe. If they appear red, it's only because they put them under lights. That's why in Cell you have these wonderful tomatoes, but they go bad very quickly. Here you have tomatoes that will sit on the shelf there for weeks, maybe months, years. They never change. That same pale orange color and plastic texture. Yeah, that's what it is. So, when you, uh, when you have this, right? you have this situation, a tomato, you grow your own tomatoes, they're juicy, they're beautiful. I get the first tomato because it's mine. When you're cooking schnitzel, and it really depends if you're cooking the big schnitzel or the little schnitzel, the little schnitzel takes a lot more work a lot more frying and you know how when you take them out of the pan people are grabbing them up as fast as they're coming out Hanukkah time you can find this with latkes yeah and so you're making latkes and after you finish the entire first batter there's not a latke left to be seen and everyone's just picking at them and people pick away at the schnitzel you know and you're like leave it alone I didn't have any yet and I made the schnitzel. They're my schnitzels. They're my tomatoes. They're my cookies. You bake the cake, you get the first piece. That's understood. Comes along at Kiddush Baruch Hu and he says, no, I'm getting the first piece. My friend, Rabbi Y.Y. Rubenstein, made reference to a scene in a movie with uh, Jimmy Stewart that I never saw. But he quoted it so beautifully, as you know, Rabbi Y Y.Y. can do almost any accent, you know, why he chooses to do Scottish is beyond me. <laughs> I was with him on a panel for once, you know, and he goes, if you look in the verse, I said, what's a verse? There's no A in that word, it's a verse. So he switched it to perfect American. he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize this was difficult. I said, no, you're talking normal, I understand what you're saying, you know. But, uh, you know, so he was able to do Jimmy Stewart beautifully, you know. And uh, evidently they're sitting down to the table and he says, Hey, Pa, you have to say grace. And he says, All right. Well, Lord, we came to this land. We cleared this land. We plowed this land. We planted this land. We harvested our food. And now we're going to eat it. Thanks anyway. (laughs) Well, that's of course brilliant because you know I don't have to thank God for the sun for the rain for the ground Yeah, take those things away it's really hard to grow things try it Yeah, very hard to grow things without any dirt without any water, without any sun so God is more than just a silent partner really he deserves the first piece I don't want to give it to him. I want to keep it for myself. So when you bring the Bikurim, even though it's not as much as my Sushani, my Sushani is a tax. Everyone understands taxes. Yeah? To pay a tax. But the Bikurim, it rips out my heart. I have to take those first fruit that belong to me and give them to Hashem. And so... People, if they do it, might do it with the attitude of, okay, fine, fine. You want it? Here, take it. Fine. I did it, okay? You took my first fruit. We don't do that. We decorate it with flowers and with birds and we put it in a basket and we cook, we, we dress up the ox and we make a parade and everyone comes out and greets us because you're giving it... With simcha. Simcha. What happens if I don't have that simcha? If I don't do it with simcha, why am I doing it? Oh no, I got a Dava Mincha? Okay, fine. Okay? Okay? I did it you happy big guy feeling better ok you'll be ok my I'll be back Sheesh. now I'm not cheshit anybody here but I'm sure we've all seen this scene with other people where their parents ask them for something and they're like yeah ok in a minute and your mother's like well my, my hand really is bleeding pretty severely so could you bring me the bandage And the person gets up because they were, you know, busy doing Facebook or whatever, you know, they were involved in something. It wasn't stomp, you know. And they get up like this. (sighs) Anything else? (laughs) Or can I go? Now when this happens, when we have observed this with other people, you know, sometimes you'll hear a parent say, You know what? Don't do me any favors. Thank God I can still walk, you know what I mean? I'll get it myself, thanks for nothing. And the kid's like, what, what, what? I brought it, right? I did it, right? What else do you want from me? Sheesh, I could never do anything right around here. It's never enough. <laughs> Why? Because the G'mahdn Kedushin says you can give your parents the finest food in the world and be Yerish him. Why? Because you give it to them on a dirty plate. You do it, but you do it in a way that makes them feel crummy. Because I wasn't happy. So why am I doing the mitzvahs? Why? Because Hashem, you need me to eat a matzah? You get a thrill out of hearing the crunch? Okay, listen up. Crunch, crunch, crunch. You happy now? Okay? I did my mitzvahs. Why? I don't know. God's making me do it, but not because I want to. One of my kids, you know. My wife being a woman, speaks in woman talk. Men speak in men talk. They're completely different languages. I have this on the authority of John Gray. But men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It's much more of an authority on marriage than I am, because he's been married four times. I've only been married once, you know what I mean? But he brought an example. This is a prime example. A woman says, um, could you take out the garbage? You know? And men say things like, I could. Because the woman here is like, could you do me this favor and something that would build a relationship for me? And the man here is, could you take out the garbage? Are you man enough to take out the garbage? I mean, can you do that? that? So my wife is even worse than that. And I don't know why she phrases it this way. It's it's years. Um, would you like to take out the garbage? I remember one time when the kid was like, "No, I wouldn't want to. I'll do it if you ask me to, but I don't want to." My wife was so insulted. I tried to explain to her, nobody really wants to take out the garbage. People don't go knocking on doors. How do you have any garbage I can take out? <laughs> but of course, she meant like, don't you want to help? But nobody hears that, you know? And the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, don't you want to do mitzvahs? And he says, no, I'll do it if I have to. Okay? Anything else? Am I done? Can I go now? <laughs> If you do that, do you understand what you're doing? I'm saying, you know why I have to keep Torah and mitzvahs? Because for some reason, God needs me to do it. Okay, fine. I dive it. Do you want me to daven? I daven. You happy now? I had one of my kids had an ingrown toenail, pretty severe. Was infected. And I brought it to the doctor, and the doctor cut it out, and she was screaming. She was very unhappy. And at the end, she like got up and she says, Will, I hope you're happy. And the doctor was like, well, I'm not ecstatic, but I am glad that we took that out. You know, yeah, it was a positive thing. And I was like, I hope you are happy, you know. Okay, okay. The did tell Mitzvahs, I hope you are happy. There are, there is a concept of Uh, powerful beings who want you to do stuff they're called the Votazara. you have to bring them a sacrifice if you read the Odyssey so the gods are arguing about Odysseus and they say listen he always brought us sacrifices he always poured off the first of the wine the Argo lands on on a uh, island in uh, uh, some place, and they kill the sheep, but the sheep really belong to Zeus. Zeus gets so angry that they ate his sheep, he takes a lightning bolt and destroys the ship. Only Odysseus survives. You have to offer me a sacrifice. You have to give me something. When your attitude towards Torah and Mitzvahs is, okay, you made me do it, so I did it. Not because I wanted to, because I had to. That's the Vodah So we bring the Bikurim, and we say over the second half of the Haggadah. What do I say? We went down to Mitzrayim. And we came down, few in number, and we became a big, powerful nation, thereof. The Baal Haggadah darshins that posik based on a Posik of Yechezkel. And he says, Rav is Revava, Where we began to assimilate. And we began to lose our identity. We forgot we were Jews. Yosef said, listen, these guys are shepherds, you guys don't like shepherds, you know. Leave them in Goshen, that's good shepherding land, and just leave them alone. That was their plan. It didn't work. The Medrash says that the Egyptians could not get a seat in their theaters and stadiums because the Jews had all the seats how little things have changed in thousands of years yeah. and so they uh, you know the Jews were assimilating and they were disappearing mm-hmm. and so God said there's only one way to keep Jews Jewish when they don't want to be Jews and the Egyptians oppressed us mm-hmm. anti-semitism I've heard this from teachers in schools, where they say the kids don't pay attention to anything unless I mention the Holocaust. All of a sudden they mention the Holocaust and uh, you you get their attention. Anti-Semitism, suffering, that passes for Jewish identity today. No one has to agree with me. I'm not a big fan of these tours to Eastern Europe to go and look at Holocaust, you know, memorials and, and, and uh, concentration camps and stuff. So someone said to me, don't you think it's important? I said, yeah, uh, read the accounts of the people who were there. It's very important to read the books. Said, but don't you want to go there and see it? I said, my grandfather was mugged in Jamaica. He was lying on the ground. His blood was on the ground. I'll show you where it was. You want to see where he got beaten up? Is that important to you? Well, you take my word for it. It was a very traumatic thing for my grandfather. You know? I have to see where everybody suffered? Because that's what works for Jewish identity. We want to hear about suffering. We have to hear about Holocaust, and we have to see destruction and death and hear terrible stories, and that's what, we, that's what inspires us. So they wanted me to do a trip to Eastern Europe. I said, no. So they wanted me to go to Prague. I said, okay. That's my idea of a tour. You go to Prague. It's a beautiful city. You can see Schule's that still exist. You stay in a nice hotel. Do a lot of shopping. You know, have uh, they flew in a caterer and they they made all the food fresh. You know, that's my idea of a good trip. Tell some stories. Give some shiurim. Have a good time. Go for a boat ride on the river. I'm not interested in going to concentration camps. Then we went to Venice. That was another good trip. We took boat rides. We saw this shul. We saw that shul. You know, it was terrific. You know, they wanted me to do Krakow. I said, you know, there's also a lot of shoals there and stuff, but then you have to do Auschwitz. I said, I don't do Auschwitz. I don't like the message. Jews are already miserable that they're Jewish. I don't have to show them how miserable it is. There was an organization in England. Their theme, it was, a, it was an outreach organization. I think it was called uh, Jewish Identity. I forgot what it was called. And their theme was, Marry Jewish because six million Jews died in the Holocaust. I said, do you realize what that me- message is saying? You have to marry Jewish. Why? Because they killed off six million of us. Yeah. And if you don't stay Jewish, who will they kill the next time? Understand the Holocaust is the best argument you can give me to change my name and assimilate? Why would I want to be a Jew? If, you, if your whole message is every now and then, they people write out and kill off 80% of us. That's not much of an attraction to become a Jew. It's almost as good as the assimilation argument. We're disappearing, we're dying out. Want to join? <laughs> It's like, hi, my, my boat is sinking. You want to get on board? You know, my company's going bankrupt. Want to invest? <laughs> if we're disappearing, that's no reason to become a Jew if we're getting destroyed. But unfortunately, that works for most Jews. As a businessman who was a secular Jew, one said to me in Chicago, most Jews have never heard of Sheva but they can all say Kaddish. Because we Jews are great at mourning, death and destruction works for us. And what was the result? We cried out to him, and what was the result? That Hashem saved us. And now we're bringing the bikurim to the base of Mikdash, and we say, "I'm bringing you the first fruits." You know why? Because I learned my lesson. I don't want to assimilate. I don't want to (laughs) disappear. I don't want to realize that the only thing that keeps people Jewish is suffering and curses and destruction. <laughs> and so the pasha ends, the ends <laughs> And then I make my miser. I gave my maisterous. I made sure everybody had it. And what did I do, said Rashi? I was happy and I made other people happy. And then I have the next Pasha and it says, You are to Hashem... Uh, well, a, a special nation and Hashem loves you and you're gonna, you know uh, he looks out for you and then I build this Mizbeach on top of Har Evil. after I write the Torah in 70 languages and according to one view in the Gemara I write it then I plaster it over why? because the Goyim will only think it's valuable if they discover it on their own and I say, I don't need that, I'm so happy And I'm going to bring Shlomim And I'm going to be happy there <laughs> And after I finish all that I come to Har and Har Edel As soon as I come to Yitzchel And I say, there's two mountains One is a mountain called Bracha And one is a mountain called Klala And I say to Klai Israel, choose Which one you want Because the Kodesh Baruch says What works for you you want the brachas, like it says in the Or are you gonna decide that God's not that important? Then I'll turn after and you'll be destroyed. What works for you? And so we read 98 klalos, and I say, if you're good, and you're happy, and you do what you're supposed to do, I'll give you all the brach in the world. But if that doesn't work for you, and you're not motivated by all the good things, then here's a klala, and a klala, and a klala, and another curse, and another curse. Why? It's all for the same reason. Yeah? Because you didn't serve God out of happiness. You weren't happy doing it. What motivates you? Tragedy and suffering and destruction. So instead, you'll serve your enemies out of hunger and thirst. Because that works for you. Because that motivates people. Because tragedy wakes us up. Because when there's tragedy in the world, suddenly people are going to extra shiurim, And suddenly people are saying extra tehillim. And people are doing extra mitzvahs. Some guy shows up in shul, hasn't been there for a long time, and you see him davening with real intensity. And you say, what's the matter? What's going on? He says, I'll tell you the truth. I was looking at my life and I said, Wow. My family is healthy. I have a good living. Thank God, everything's going well. I have naches for my children. Now's the time because Hashem gave me all this bracha to show Him that it's going to motivate me to do good things. Forget about it; that never happens. Somebody shows up. It's because somebody's dying or somebody died. How many times do I go to a shul for mincha? You know, when it's the middle of the day, like you know, in November time. At the end of Daveni, I'm the only guy not going, Yizkadalvi, Yizkadash. I said, what, was there a plague? Half the town died out? No, it's just, those are the only people who come to shore. I heard a guy say to somebody once, <clears> he <throat> says, I right, finished next week. I'm out of here. I didn't say it. As I get older, I'm getting, I'm learning that if I go to Olu because of the times I didn't speak rather than the times that I did I was going to say that's too bad because I guess if a Kirish Baruch wants to see you he'll have to kill another one of your close relatives that's the only chance we have I was speaking for a Kirib organization in a I would call it a major Jewish community maybe it's a minor Jewish community but it's you know it wasn't, it wasn't Walla Walla, Washington. You know what I mean? It was uh, bigger, bigger. Bigger than Walla Walla. It's smaller than uh, Chicago. Yeah? And I said, when do we dive in uh, Mincha? He says, you have to dive in the chides. I said, why? Because all the minions around here are diving at 420. And you're speaking from 4 to 5. I says, no other well, So He says, yeah, there's one you know, uh, on the other side of town. It's a 40-minute drive, but I'm not going to schlep there. I said, then call me a cab. He says, it'll be expensive. I said, I'm a Echid. So, oh, I didn't realize. Then I'll drive you. And we dive him. And on the way back, he says, I didn't see you say Kaddish. I said, I didn't say I'm an Oval. I said, I'm a Khiv. I'm a Chiv to dive with a minion, and so are you. He says, "Ah, oh, if I knew that, I wouldn't have driven you. I said, I'm sorry. If I kill a close relative, can I go to shore? He said, after my dad died, I made a deal with God. I said, don't kill my mom. I'll come anyway. Don't want you to think that I have to come just because, you know, it's tragedy. There's someone more cynical than me, if you can imagine it. I know it's hard to imagine. He said, I finally figured out why people die. Otherwise, we wouldn't have one shul, one yeshiva, or one mikveh. They're all named after dead people. You know, the yeshiva rod rotten, the roof was leaking, and there was this rich almana. And Chabbat Chaim went to ask her for money to fix the roof. He says, don't worry, Rabbi. I left you money in my will. He says, you want me to daven that you should die so I can fix the roof? So he said, I got a better idea. Give me the money for the roof now and I'll give you a bracha. Faricha yomim. Death and destruction motivate us. Simcha. Bracha. What kind of a year did we have? I spoke in... London, I was the first speaker in a seven-speaker series about Shemir Shabbos that was done in memory of the Sassoon family. They lost seven children, so they had seven seven weeks of shiurim about Shabbos. I spoke uh, at the uh, Shemir Salashan evening in Vinay Uma, 3,000 women. And Mr. Sassoon spoke. And he handed out a picture of his children to everybody who came. And he said, Every day, could you do one nice deed for one of my children from now to Yom Kippur? It was very powerful. I was in Osha'ad, supermarket, I know. I saw Mrs. Risa Rotman. um, uh, Her husband was not killed in the Harnoff terrorist attack. Four people were killed. Several others were seriously injured. He's, you know, basically not functioning. And she said, you know, he's in a place in Renana. It's an hour and a half drive each way. I went to see my husband and I came back. And I saw the tomatoes in O'Sha'ad were beautiful. And I said, thank you, Hashem, for the beautiful tomatoes. And the next week, which was her son's yurt site, she had a teenage son who fell off his bicycle and died. So after they came back from basic first, she, said, she came here and I saw the tomatoes were terrible. And I said, Baruch Hashem, I have the to live in Yerushalayim. It takes tragedy and destruction to motivate us. So I don't like the Holocaust. Why can't we celebrate that we're Jews? Why can't we be happy that we're alive and healthy? And and... be happy with all the good that Hashem gives you. Look at all the bracha. So we broke the bris that Hashem made with us at Harsinai. When you break a bris Ramban says that bris is just a contraction of the word brias. When you make a bris you're making a pact you're making a covenant people are coming together when you destroy that you destroy the people who came into the bris. There's no way to break a a pact without destroying the people. And we broke the bris at Harsinai and Moshe Rabbeinu went up onto Har Sinai and he got a new bris and that new bris was given with the brachas v'klolos in Mishnah Torah. says Roshim Ba you know where the nechama is? the nechama are the klolos because Hashem says I won't destroy you if you're happy and you keep the Torah I'll give you bracha and if you're not happy you don't give the Torah t- t- I'll give you klolos so we read before we're Shoshana, the, bracha, the brachas and the seha, <laughs> Because we end the year with the curses. What does that mean? Not the curses end. Of course the curses are going to end. But we end the year with the curses. Because we say that our Kodesh Baruch Hashem, we kept our side of the bargain. You told us be good and get bracha, or be bad and get klolos. Guess what? We kept our bargain. We were bad and we got klolos. We had a year of klolos. Tragedy and destruction. Now we're coming into Rosh Hashanah. You know what? I think I'd like to try something different this year. Let's try bracha. Let's try seeing all the people who are sick get healthy. Let's try seeing all the people who are trying to have... Children have children. Let's see all the people who are trying to find shidduchim, find shidduchim. Let's find all the people who are trying to find jobs and support their family. Find jobs and find a parnosa. Let's see all of the people who who are living with such sadness and such such difficulty. Be happy. Let's try bracha. Does that motivate us? We live in the world that we choose it's hard to believe that people choose klala but look around people are motivated by this disaster and by tragedy and good times don't motivate us as much so the nechama is we kept that part of the bargain tichlashon mikilay seha the klalas are the nechama you'll never you'll never walk away Kodesh Baruch made an unbreakable pact yeah you'll always be there hello what you're going to decide this coming year what kind of a year you want let's finish the year with the khalalas let's try a year of brachas it was Purim right after the economic collapse I went to see with Shapiro in Purim and every year he says to me Noob, Reb David you know what's your kvetch this year you know I said, a lot of people are asking me, you know, the terrible economy, why they lost their money. And I want to give them an answer. And he looks at me and says, no? I said, no, no, I want to say to them, Rabbi Shapiro says the reason this happened is, so now you fill in the blank, you know? So he made a face and he said something that I never told any of the people who were suffering. He said, ask them when they made all their money if they asked why they made all their money. And if they didn't ask why Hashem gave them all the bracha, tell them not to ask why they lost the money. Just the economy. But if you get the money and you don't ask why did Hashem give it to me, then when you lose the money, don't ask why did Hashem take it away. Look at the bracha and say, does this bracha motivate us? My father, his whole life, he wanted to become a Shomer Shabbos. But he was in the flower business, and the busiest day is Saturday, and he felt he couldn't take off. Even as his kids became a Shema Shabbos, he just felt he couldn't do it. And then he had a massive heart attack. Destroyed 80% of his heart muscle. They said he needs an immediate triple bypass, but he won't survive the operation. So there's nothing he can do. So we found one surgeon who was willing to do the surgery. I got on a plane, I flew right over, and I rented a car, went right to the hospital. I found my father's room, and the cardiologist was standing outside of his room shaking his head. It's a miracle. He should have died on the table, I don't know why he didn't die. So, at that time he said, I keep saying when I'm coming to Shabbos if I don't do it now when will I? This was in December and he kept Shabbos all the way to May because in May is the Yom Kippur of the flower business right? Mother's Day and so he says to me David God will understand I have a policy I don't answer statements only questions <laughs> that was not a question that was a statement I said oh <laughs> he calls me up that Thursday and he says to me it must be pretty important to God that I keep this Shabbos I said you mean because he wrote in the Ten Commandments he said no <laughs> I said because it's punishable by death he says no no that didn't make an impression on him he had bought the building where his business was in and everybody in the building applied for moving costs because they were all getting kicked out so my father could refurbish the business so he, uh, he said I'm one of the tenants I also deserve moving costs so the lawyer said to him Marty you're not moving the city's not going to give you a moving cost if you're not moving he says apply for it anyway and that Thursday he got a check from the city for an enormous amount of money for moving costs and I thought to myself he became a Shema Shabbos because he almost died because of the tragedy and he remained a Shomer Shabbos to the end of his life because of the bracha that Hashem gave him what kind of a year do you want for this coming year I can tell you what kind of year we had this past year it was a pretty crummy year last year not this last year two years ago yeah so I thought I didn't have such a good year the guy who did the angiogram on me said, I don't know how you're still alive. You should be dead. You're not getting enough blood flow to your heart. The surgeon who did the surgery said to my wife, you're lucky I did the surgery because he was the top guy. He says, any other guy, he wouldn't have been able to find the artery. It collapsed into his heart. I just had to know from experience where it should be to remove it from the heart in order to bypass it. He didn't tell me that part. He just told me, after I bypassed it, your heart turned a nice shade of pink so people asked me what color was it before I said that was a good question I should have asked that so I, I said this over once and uh, another doctor said it was probably gray anyways I almost died twice you know and uh, and last before this past Rosh Hashanah someone said to me what do you want for this coming year I said just a better year than last year he says, you, and great, you should have died twice. God saved your life, and all you can do is complain. <laughs> and I said, you know, he's right. Hashem. And if only bracha would motivate us more, if we would go on and become the people we would, we'd get more bracha. Hashem is waiting to pour the shefa down upon us. And if we end the year with the curses and say, I had enough bad, gee, it would be nice to try a year of bracha. And the merits Hashem will be zayecha to this coming year, that we should all be zayecha to a kesiva